Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ed Choice Chats. I'm Drew Cat, Ed Choice's Director of State Research and Special Projects, and I'm here to talk about our newest research, a report I had a small part in called 2019 Surveying the Military, What America's Active Duty Service Members and Spouses Think About Military Life and K-12 Education. I'm here today with lead authors Paul DePerna, Ed Choice's Vice President of Research and Innovation, and Dr. Lindsey Burke, who is director of the Center for Education Policy and Will Skillman Fellow in Education for the Heritage Foundation, to have a conversation about our report. Thanks for joining me today, Paul and Lindsey. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Drew. This is great. So, Lindsey, would you mind starting us off by talking about the changing nature of military life? Yeah, that's, it's such an interesting question. If you talk to folks who have sort of looked at the history of the military over the the decades, and, and really for more than a century, it has changed significantly if you go back a century or so. I mean, it used to be that military families got all of their services on base, right? You went to the doctor on base, your child attended school on base, there was a commissary on base, life was on base. <laughs> and what we've seen, though, over the decades and over the past century in particular is that a lot of these services and families sort of moved off of the base, and the military population broadly started integrating with the civilian population outside of base. And so now if we think about schools in particular, the vast majority of children in active duty military families end up attending a school not on the base, but the local public school that is closest to the base to which their parent is assigned. And if you look at the data, that's about 80% of military children are attending public schools off base. So it's a, a large portion of the, the kids and really, I think, a good indication of the changing nature of military life. Yeah, that's fascinating. So what about when it comes to where students that are dependents of active duty military members, like where they are living in states and whether or not the state has a voucher tax credit scholarship program? or Education Savings Account, or ESA? Yeah, so, so that's another really interesting question. So if we look at the universe of children from military families, of those who attend public schools, about 96% of them are doing so off-base at a nearby public school. And so just 4% of kids are actually attending a DOD school on-base. So I think that's important to sort of contextualize the findings from our paper. So then if we look at, okay, We've got military families who are sort of integrating with the civilian population when it comes to where they live and the services that they have access to. What does it mean specifically for the options that they have when it comes to where their child attends school? Well, it is very clear from the research that we've done that the vast majority of children and military families get an assignment just like their active duty parent gets an assignment. The parent's assigned to a base, the child is assigned to a public school nearest that base. And so that becomes an issue when you consider the options at the state level that might be available to give those families some flexibility beyond their school assignment. And so we looked across the country and found that half of all children of active duty military families live in states with no private school choice options whatsoever. So basically for them, it's the nearby assigned public school and that's it, which can, and we can talk about this later, but have 
considerable implications for military life and recruitment and retention. And I would just add that if we look at the states with the largest concentration of military families, so that's California and Texas, those two states have no private school choice options whatsoever. So the two states with the largest number of military families basically give them no choices when it comes to something as critical to them as their children's education. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Now, before we dive into too many of the findings, Paul, would you mind taking the time to provide our listeners with some background of surveys of military families? Sure. So in recent years, the last few years, we've seen several surveys of military families uh, that have been conducted not only by EdChoice, but some other organizations. The Military Times teamed up with the Collaborative for Student Success to conduct their own survey in 2017. And they found that one interesting finding was that seven out of 10 respondents in that survey found that moving between states really created some big challenges for their children's education. And 40% of those respondents had said that they declined or would even decline a career advancing job and stay at their current duty station if it meant that their child could remain in a high performing school. And so that particular survey by the Military Times and Collaborative for Student Success shed some light on these really big decisions that military families face that are pretty unique compared to other families of school-age children. And then a second series of surveys that have been conducted since 2009 come from the Blue Star Family Surveys. And so they've been doing an annual survey of military households, not just active duty, but also veterans as well, and military spouses. And they have really done a lot. They've teamed up with a center from Syracuse to conduct these annual surveys where they've really looked at stressors on military families when it comes to changing duty stations, other types of adversities that service members, veterans, spouses face that can affect not just education, but they ask a much broader set of questions that extend into other areas and other types of policy domains. But in their most recent release in 2018, they found that dependent children's education was one of their top five issues, and 42% of spouses gave that response, and 34%, about one-third of service members themselves, offered that response. And so education is... You know, definitely front and center in their minds as a priority. So we've learned a lot, and we've looked at EdChoice, along with collaborating and teaming up with you, Lindsay. We've been able to develop our own questionnaire and and really focus on education reform areas and questions, particularly around choice, whether it's education savings accounts or also called ESAs, school vouchers, charter schools tax credit scholarships, and we've been able to really focus in on this particular part of education policy, education reform, and we conducted our first survey together a couple years ago in 2017, and that was a survey both of active duty service members and veterans, and with a multi-mode methodology, which is a little bit different than what we did this time around for this particular report. We really focused on active duty service members and their spouses. We even were able to 
reach households where you had both members of the household in active duty. And so they were both a spouse and an active duty service member, which is pretty interesting. And so, and we had a much larger sample size this time around, which allows for some deeper analysis into different demographics. Also gives us a little bit more increased confidence in the differences that we pick up between responses. And so that's something we tried to do a little bit differently than our methods a couple of years ago. And I think we found a lot of interesting information when it comes to education reforms and school choice, but also what issues and what challenges are facing military households, even outside of education. Yeah. So while pouring over the cross tabs and creating the charts and tables for the report, what jumped out to me the most was how the majority of the 1,295 active duty households that responded to our survey this spring thought that K-12 education and our fair nation is going in the right direction. Now, that's a good thing, but that's not something I'm used to seeing when looking at our national or state-level polling data, where it's typically maybe a single demographic group has an overall positive margin. That is, they're more positive about the direction than they are negative about the direction. So what findings took each of you by surprise? Well, I, I would say that that finding actually really jumped out to me as well. And, you know, I think it's one of those issues, and you're correct to note, if you look at uh, polling, that this isn't entirely inconsistent with what we see in general and that subgroup differences can really change what we see in terms of families' feelings toward their local school. But I always think about it similar to how we think about members of Congress, right? People generally don't like Congress, but they tend to like their member. We, I think, see a similar phenomenon with education, whether it's for military families or the civilian population, that people tend to agree that education has room for improvement, but they tend to like their own school. And you, you know, form relationships with teachers and administrators and, and all those things that we would want a school to do. So. You know, that could be something that we're, we're seeing in the data here, but definitely interesting. It's good, though, to know, right? I mean, it's a positive finding to, to see that schools are, I would think, as a result of this, being responsive to military families and, you know, maybe just over time learning more about their needs and the sort of unique nature of military life. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that it was a little bit surprising that we did see that these respondents were more likely to be you know, positive about the direction as opposed to negative. And we also, in some of the other data, we see how they would rate their local school district in terms of a lot of, like, communications with parents and, t- and different types of services they're providing parents. And, and there was a range there where they rated some things more highly than others. But we also see, and we can get this in a few minutes, but that points to me that it's not zero sum. So if people are satisfied or somewhat more likely to be positive about their experiences with school districts or with their public schools, that doesn't mean that they're going to be anti-choice or they're going to be opposed to education savings accounts, vouchers, and charter schools. And we see the opposite, where you can have both. And so people, they may, at that point in time when they're taking the survey and doing the interview, they'd be relatively satisfied with their current situation or what they have had as their experience. But then we see that the support for education savings accounts and charter schools, other forms of choice and and some other areas of education reform are very much positive and, and they are highly supportive of those types of policies. And so 
So I think that's one thing that I take away. And we've seen this in, in some of our other polling, too, where, where there's positive responses and sentiment in both areas. Real quick, back to what jumped out to me as surprising. To me, it was some of the contextual questions that we asked that were not directly related to education or to school choice, but really matters that are affecting the household or to service members directly. And so we did a net promoter score question where we asked how likely the service member or the spouse would be to recommend military life or career to their friends or colleagues. And on balance, they're still positive. 45% of the respondents were still promoters of military service, and that was a little bit lower than what we saw a couple years ago, and so that was a little bit surprising by, I believe, about 10 to 11 points. And then passives were about the same, unchanged, and then we saw a higher proportion of detractors this time who would give lower ratings. And so the NPS score that we arrived at was about less than half of what we saw a drop of about 24 points since 2017. And so that could be a signal for whatever reasons, but that's something that we saw come out as a contextual, you know, kind of background item. And another one was just that half of the respondents have considered leaving the military. That really struck me. And I come at this not having a military background, having some family and friends who have been in the military, but I thought that that might be in the like... Yeah, just kind of guessing, and to some degree, that maybe in the 20s or 30s, but, uh, but to say half in the last year considered leaving really was striking to me. Yeah, I, I was kind of flummoxed by that, because it's, on, on one hand, it's okay, half, half of them have thought about, you know, not just leaving their job, because it's not, it's not just a job. There's an entire lifestyle and life that is built around military service. Like even building on what Lindsay was saying earlier with the, the number of amenities available on the base, et cetera, versus, you know, the, the community and the culture. But I, I kind of thought about that in the larger context and thought about myself and, you know, some of my coworkers here and some of my friends and family members. And I don't know if I know a single person that has not at least, you know, had a moment of frustration in their occupation where over at least just even for a half second, they've thought about leaving their job. So, I don't know, maybe those numbers are low compared to folks thinking about leaving their job. But then again, like, military service is much more than just a job. So that was kind of interesting thinking about those. And not to get too wonky about the questionnaire, but maybe next time we do this, we could even do an experiment to see, you know, give half the respondents if they've thought about leaving in the last week or Mm. the last few days. And then the other, and then also look at the last year and if there's... That might be revealing in some way. But no, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. We could spend a lot of time going down this path of hypothesizing what it's like for military members. Um, I don't know. Paul, do you have one more thing? Yeah, there was just one other thing that's interesting to me and and somewhat surprising, too, is just, and this kind of maybe is a segue into getting into the more education-oriented questions that we ask, but, but it is interesting and somewhat surprising to me just how many different types of schooling military parents have tried for their students and and have enrolled their students. And so we see roughly, we asked about six different types of schools, ranging from your public district school and public charter school to homeschooling, private school, the DOD schools, and even online schooling. And we see that at least three of 10 respondents said that they had enrolled their child for at least a year in any one of those school types. And expectedly, we see you know, 72% saying that they have enrolled their child in a, in a public district school. 
but we see 37% said private school. And then, like I said, three out of 10 had tried the other types of schooling. And so, they, so there seems to be this appetite and a desire and an openness for a whole range of options of different kinds of schooling. Yeah, no, and I think that resonates with what I know anecdotally from one of my friends who's, she is a active duty military spouse. And yeah, between her husband going to different trainings and everything and them having to live in all the different locations that it's been, whatever schooling environment works best depending on where they are living and at what point in the school year it is. So it's really interesting to see those results really fleshed out in the charts. So let's reel it back and focus on education because, you know, we're at choice and that's what we do. So the findings in the report that interested me the most are the ones focusing on the current school parents. For those of you who've kind of been following some of the recent research we've been putting out, I had a nice cross-sector parent survey and with a co-author. And that's something I'm really interested in is finding out why parents choose the schools that they do. So there's something that I've seen repeatedly in parent surveys that I've worked on that came out in these survey results. And that's that academics aren't always the top factor influencing schooling decisions. This may be a surprise to some of our listeners, but I don't think that's really surprising to any of us here in the office. In fact, nearly one in five current school parents in active duty households, or 19% to be specific, said safe environment was the top factor. And that was compared to 14% who said academic reputation and 11% who said location being close to home or work for the school being the top factor influencing their decision. Now, as researchers, we all try to remain unbiased going into the analysis and letting the data speak for itself. But were there any findings that you were kind of expecting to see before the survey was even fielded? Yeah, I mean, that's the main one, (laughs) honestly, in my opinion. It is so consistent with what we have seen just across the board when you survey parents, you know, whether it's a parent in Florida or California or D.C., wherever it might be, that their number one issue, particularly when you look at parents who live in urban areas, it's school safety. I mean, that comes back again and again in the survey data that we see. And then, you know, it starts to diverge a little bit from there. I mean, we often see values and character instruction and moral development as as coming in pretty high there. So, you know, pretty interesting to see that sort of slight diversion then in the military survey that it was academic reputation that rose up next in the list for those families. But, you know, it's consistent largely with surveys that we see where, you know, families aren't really worried about how their kid's school is scoring on a given government test. They're much more worried about the child's safety, the overall academic environment, and as was the case in our survey of military families, the location of the school, which isn't unusual either. So that was, I think, overall pretty standard, but the school safety one for sure is something we see over and over again. Uh, it's, it's kind of also interesting put it in, you know, to the psychological context of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes, correct. Yeah, that you need, you need to feel physically safe in order to, you know, move your way up the pyramid. Yeah, and it is interesting, the, the Maslow's point, because this is something that has come out in the literature as well, that you know, after a family, and this is Pat Wolf's work in D.C., but after a family switches into a private school choice environment, they, they are thinking primarily school safety. I need to make sure my child's safe, that they're not going to get bullied or worse when they're in school. And then after about two years, when they kind of ease into their new private school environment and are confident that their child's in a safe school environment, 
then they start to shift their thinking more toward academic outcomes than safety. And so you're absolutely right. It's definitely a Maslow's hierarchy of needs when it comes to education, which I, I think is pretty intuitive, but interesting to see in the survey research. Yeah, for me, this really was fascinating to me because I, I, I think I expected safety to be up there. I did not expect it to be at the top. Yeah. And I thought it would, yeah, maybe be in the you know, top three or five or so. Because I guess, you know, I'm thinking about maybe with the locations and maybe they're not all in these urban settings where we have seen safety as a number one reason where military families are located. You know, just my limited understanding is, you know, it's pretty wide ranging where sometimes it's very much in small town, like somewhat rural areas or in the suburban areas. But yes, yeah, so the safety, that was really intriguing. And in some ways, I wish we maybe even had like a follow-up to that to kind of dive a little bit deeper. But I think that informs some future survey research that either we do or others can do. And then also just contrasting, and because we ask these questions in our national and state surveys as well, but it's interesting when you do look at demographics, there are just different penchants and like, you know, preferences for different types of groups. And so, so like in our national polling, we often see individual one-on-one attention and class size kind of rising to the top for certain types of preferences. And that's, you know, that's kind of in the middle in terms of the, for lack of a better word, hierarchy of the different reasons influencing school decisions uh, in this particular military survey. Test scores wasn't too surprising. Usually that is kind of in the middle or towards the bottom for this kind of question. So, but yeah, I agreed with you, Lindsay. I mean, this was really an interesting set of results that we saw. And so thinking more about what we were expecting and so some consistency from 2017 in the survey we did a couple years ago that the choice related items, I didn't really see to be honest. I mean, I, I see consistency and where we see seven out of 10 military households, you know, that they were supportive of education savings accounts, which is roughly almost identical to what we found in our last survey of active duty service members. And there's also a lot of support for public charter schools and school vouchers. And we're on the order of roughly three to one positive to negative responses and sentiment to those types of policies. I wouldn't put that in the category for me, at least, something like surprising at all, but, but it's consistent. And it's something that I think that should be informative, hopefully, to policymakers and those who are advocating for school choice reforms and support of military families. Yeah, and another thing along those lines that didn't necessarily surprise me, and it was something that I was hoping to see but not necessarily expecting to see, is the preference of active duty households towards universal programs, specifically universal ESAs, rather than those programs that are limited to just families of children with certain special needs or certain income limits. So that was that was kind of nice, and it was in sync with some of the previous uh, research and polling and surveys that we've seen, at least here with the Ned Choice and, and some uh, externally as well. So that's always nice to see the preference towards going bigger and the preference towards universal and capturing everyone and allowing everyone access. And I guess the only thing I would also note that we always ask these baseline questions without giving any kind of description or definition to these policies and reforms and following that up with a what we give as a description and we feel you know we feel as a balanced definition of of a policy and it's consistent but it's still really I think interesting to see just how much 
I mean, there's a two to one positive to negative ratio on the baseline questions for ESAs, for school vouchers and charter schools. And then you see a jump when we give the description on the order of roughly 15 to 20 points increase in support for education savings counts in particular. But also you see that kind of jump for school vouchers and also for charter schools to a little bit lesser degree. And these are just big margins of support versus opposition for those types of policies. Yeah. So it's always interesting kind of seeing the questions at the beginning as we're kind of crafting and tweaking before it goes to the polling partner to actually do all the field work and then having the the respondents fill out the survey in March and April and then kind of digging into the crosstab, seeing the significant differences and everything. So it was it's kind of interesting how we were able to use some of the same questions that we used in our 2018 national survey or 2018 schooling in America. And especially to me, what jumped out was how many of the active duty households went above and beyond to support their child's K-12 experience and the accommodations they made that almost every single line item, they reported higher responses than the national population. What are either of y'all's thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that is, again, a finding that was consistent from our prior survey of military families that we conducted, that they are, I would say, making sacrifices above and beyond the, the types of sacrifices that we see when it comes to education of their children, of the civilian population. I mean, everybody sacrifices for their children, of course, um, but to see the extent to which it was slightly higher for military families when it comes to things like, you know, switching jobs or not taking a job. I mean, it's just it's a, a really interesting finding when you put it in the broader context of what military families are already experiencing day to day, the the frequent moves, the parent who might be deployed. I mean, it, it just it really sort of drives home the extent to which military families live a unique life day to day. So I think to me that it was interesting, but again, it was pretty consistent with our first survey. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, we do see that consistency. And the numbers still, so it's, you, know, you can look at these numbers in different ways. I mean, the, the levels in and of themselves are really interesting where you see a third of active duty military parents saying that they have taken out a loan to support their child's K-12 education. And then you look at the gap. So it's one way you look at one out of three said they've taken out a new loan, but then that's 13 points higher than the national average of parents of school-aged children that we've seen in our surveys. And they're also, another one is paying for tutoring, where they're twice as likely than the national average to say they've been paying for tutoring. That's one item that really stands out to me and then connects to policy and potential for education savings accounts, because that is one aspect of ESAs, that those funds can be used for Things other than tuition and tutoring, to me, stands out as a big one, at least having potential. And another one is before and aftercare services, which, particularly for parents with younger kids, is really an important consideration and something. And that's another one where we see a pretty big gap between those active duty military parents, 60% saying that they pay for before or aftercare services, and compared that to 42% on the national average of parents of school-aged children. 
So I think that, you know, there are these implications that kind of pop out of some of these questions that do have a way of coming back to potential policy changes and policy ideas. Yeah, and I think, too, it sort of circles back to the high level of support uh, our respondents demonstrated for the whole concept of ESAs. I mean, if, if these are families who are, I mean, 13 percentage points is non-trivial. I mean, that's a big difference in the number of families who are taking out loans to pay for their children's school or, or families who are hiring private tutors, whatever it might be. I think that that starts to explain, in a way, the high level of support we see in the survey for ESAs. I mean, they clearly are doing everything that they can currently to get the type of flexibility that military life requires when it comes to their children's education. So I bet for these families, a lot of it's just intuitive. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't covered that either of you think our listeners should know about 2019 surveying the military? Well, I would say, you know, just from a policy perspective, we've seen the concept of ESAs for military families gain a lot of momentum over the past two years. And I hope that this really provides some good data, some tools for policymakers who are thinking about what they can do to really meet the needs of service members who are sacrificing so much for the U.S. And this is something that, to me, is just it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, provide military families with choice. I mean, that that should be a no-brainer, I think. And so hopefully this will provide some extra tools to policymakers who can look at this and say, yeah, not only is it good policy, but it's policy that seven in 10 military families agree with and would want and benefit from. And so I think that's really important. Like I said, we're seeing momentum on ESAs for military families move forward. There are several congressional proposals at the federal level to do that. And I think at the states as well, folks really starting to think about how school choice can bolster the just sort of lifestyle that that military families experience and how, how it can really improve overall for them. So we're looking forward to seeing more momentum moving forward on that front. Yeah, I, I, I can't add anything to, especially in considerations of policy. I think that's all spot on. And and I think there is the potential for some momentum moving forward because the more that the survey results are out there and other folks are doing surveys, just really showing how, I mean, I truly believe that military families are a population where education savings accounts are almost tailor-made for that kind of flexibility that can really be hopefully beneficial and and to maybe even like alleviate some of their stressors that we also looked at in the survey and because they do so much for our country. One other thing I would just say is that, you know, this is a large quantitative study of 1,295 respondents and roughly about half of those folks were current school parents. But I mean, I, I would just like to make the pitch to our listeners that if you have been in the military or you know have loved ones or friends, colleagues who have served in the military, are serving in the military, have young kids who are in their schooling years in elementary and secondary education, we'd love to hear their stories and to be able to learn more. I mean, that's just really informative and helpful to our better understanding of the lifestyle and the challenges and everything that military families are going through to make these kind of sacrifices not just for their family, but for the country as well. 
And so uh, it'd be great to hear from you, whether it's over email or to call us or on social media to engage with us. But uh, please, we'd love to hear from you and, and to see how these survey results, how they match or contrast with what your experiences have been. All right. Well, I think hopefully we've given everyone some good food for thought as they prepare for their 4th of July festivities coming up. Hopefully in their minds will be continuing themes of freedom, choice, and sacrifice. So thank you so much for joining me, Paul and Lindsay, and thanks for the opportunity to work on this report with you. Thank you, Drew. Yeah, thanks, Drew. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so hat tip to our listeners for taking the time to learn a little bit more about this new study. To stay updated on the latest school choice research, legislative news, and more, please remember to subscribe to our EdChoice Chats podcast on platforms like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and others for more of our coverage of new school choice research, education reform policy chats, and more. If social media is more your thing, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at EdChoice. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care.